0: Welcome to Outside Sales Talk, where we meet with industry experts to learn the strategies and tactics that make them successful. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and I've helped thousands of salespeople all over the world crush their quota. Today, I'll help you crush yours. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, I have Thibaut Soiris with us, and we're going to be talking about uh, how to sell abroad. So, tips and tricks to selling in the U.S. versus Europe. Um, Tebow has a ton of expertise in this. He's the CEO and founder of Sales Labs, where he trains and coaches B2B sales teams to start more conversations and close deals faster. Uh, he's also the co-host of the B2B Sales Podcast. Tebow welcome to Outside Sales Talk. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. Um, well, it's, it's great to have you here. Um, I guess... Uh, Tell me, what are the differences between selling in Europe versus selling in the U.S.?
1: So that's actually a good question. And uh, there are so many ways to, to answer to that question. Um, so I'll go into into different topics. So don't get offended if you're from the U.S. Uh, <laughs> on what I'm <laughs> going to say. So one thing uh, that is very important in, you know, in, in selling in Europe and that is very different from the U.S., is that uh, the buyers can sometimes be like the selling is sometimes a bit more sophisticated I would say. So that's why that's why I was saying this, <laughs> don't get offended but what I mean by sophisticated is like in the US you will have like um, a certain amount of uh, of things that you will be able to build rapport over. So uh, it's very cliche but like you often will talk about uh, college football, college sports all these kind of things which are very you know very big in the US And the thing is in europe there are like i don't know i don't know how many countries but like i think eu is like 27 countries and these are as many different cultures as that so we definitely have our kind of main sport which is soccer there but even though you're gonna kind of bond around that some people hate soccer it's the case for me i'm more a rugby guy and some people hate rugby and other things like that so that's kind of what you know like one thing is around the the culture you see in europe is um you know it's very how to say it's uh it's very hard to bond around that. So th- that's one thing. Um, and there's also something that is, that is uh, very interesting is, is that people in Europe tend to be a lot less, um, how to say, down to business, I would call that. So that's something I, I, pre- like, I especially appreciate in the U.S. is whenever you go in a sales call, once the discovery has been booked, people are there to go down to business. And, you know, we're there to talk about problems, solutions, and talk about numbers. So that that's something I observed a lot. And in Europe, it's certain parts. So it's basically the souther you go in Europe, the more people will actually, uh, the less people will actually be down to talk about business. And so that's uh, that's something that has to be taken into account. So, you know, if you, for example, in France, that's kind of, I've been selling a lot in France. There's a huge also difference from the North. So if you're going to go and sell to, in Paris, which is like very, how to say, um, like people are very stressed, and you know they, they go fast. If you go in south of France, oh my God, it's super different. So, so there are like so many kind of different ways to approach that uh, in Europe. And one last thing, you know, so there are so many other things, but the third point would be the uh, the numbers. So one thing you'll see in the U.S. if you actually are able to find a problem and quantify that problem. For example, I don't know, you, you have like an issue and that, you know, you, you, you've managed to quantify it at like 10 million US dollars and you sell a 1 million USD solution that makes sense for everyone and we move further. In Europe, people are not as used as in the US to deal with big numbers. Um, and so it's, it's it's actually very different. Often people, they you know, they will not be so comfortable moving with this kind of big numbers. And so you have to have different strategies when you're going there. So that would be my kind of main three introduction points
0: okay and um what strategies would you specifically use that uh, I, I know a ton of american companies who really struggle to sell in europe there's compared to what we're used to incredibly long sales cycles um people don't like don't seem to want to make decisions they uh, and they, they and, and i think they things move a lot slower like you were saying much more um People want to talk a lot more. It's the relationship is very mm-hmm. important. Yeah. Um. But, but the relationships are challenging. Like compared to you know, we in America we chit chat about the local sports team for two minutes and then we're ready to get down to business. Mm-hmm. And we we start moving through things, and getting things done. Whereas it's a very different way of going about it over there. Um. I think a lot of American businesses kind of want to crack that nut. What what processes do you think and what what do you see working over there how, how do you what what would you recommend
1: so i'd say actually that's um it's kind of a, it's a it's a complex topic there uh, around like how to accelerate the sales process but one thing i've seen in the us is that there's kind of um how to say there's kind of a culture of pitching and often you're going to present slides and people, as I said, they are down to business. So they, they, they are sitting there because they, they clearly know what they want to do. So if you're receiving a vendor, you actually have a clear idea of what you want to do. You got a clear understanding and you know, like the, the, the vendor doesn't need to do like, a, a, I would say, a, you know, you don't need to be excellent and do crazy discovery, like in-depth discovery to understand the pain. It's clear in Europe, it's way harder to actually uh, do that. So you have to be super good at discovery. That's like critical to actually mo- like set the, um, the the deal and and there I mean it's it's also the, the case in the U.S. the better you dis- your discovery the faster will be your, your sales cycle if the opportunity stays in the in the pipeline. So I would say that's one thing I, r- I really insist is like working on the discovery, like finding the problem, quantifying the problem, and then offering a solution around that. So that that's that's one one way to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I'd say that that's the main difference. So it's kind of a paradox because in Europe, we are a bit like late in terms of sales technique and methodologies compared to the US. But we need to, ma- to master that way more than in the US because people tend to be, you know, like to have no urgency. There's the thing, you know, in Europe is like in the current crisis we're living, the question people are asking themselves is, should I take holidays, you know, in August? I'm sure in the U.S., no one's thinking about holidays. No one's like, okay, we need, we need to find a way to make like a positive, uh, you know, to just like get Q3 and Q4. And Europe is like, oh, you know, will the coast be open in the holiday? So that's, that's kind of a uh, thing
0: well, there. That, that is that is interesting. I haven't heard anyone. In la- I've talked with a lot of people about a lot of things in the last month and, and you know for for everyone's it's it's now april fourteenth uh 2020 yeah. so we're like right in the middle of covid and everyone's at home because this this won't be published for a few weeks but um the uh I've not heard anyone talk about their vacation for the year at all that's that, <laughs> that's a great that is a great cultural uh cultural point um, yeah. what well, what other impacts does culture have talk to me about how culture impacts sales and especially field sales people in these uh, in Europe compared to America?
1: So um, I'd say, so as, as this, something that I said at the beginning is like, uh, it will really depend on the way where you are. So for example, if you're selling in Germany or Dach, uh, there's a very, it, it's actually a very tough market to crack. Uh, also for me myself, I speak German, but I don't really sell in German, but it's a very tough market to to crack because it's very, um, sales there is also very kind of cultural. So if if you don't speak and understand the culture in Germany, if you don't speak German, it's gonna be very hard to crack like some kind of a more traditional, I'd um, say, uh, industries. What we call the Mittelstand, typically in Germany. So it's like that's where most of the business is made. Uh, but it's it's kind of very um, very hard if you if you're not into this kind of a circle, and if you're like the American coming and uh, trying to sell something to the to these German people, it's gonna be way harder so that's one thing and also like uh that's that's for the german but for like people who are selling in spain or italy or france these these are all different things so my if you don't say selling in spain and there you know it's like um it's super important to go for lunch or dinner with your with your your customers like it's it's key my father is also selling in spain and he told me um, he can't just sell, you know. He has to go over there. He has to to kind of spend the full day, and the full day will actually half of the day will be a meeting, and the other half will be just like talking over over lunch or whatever. So, so there are different things, and even in France, like we have been selling to also, there's differences between like the different areas. Once I went to um, a, a factory called Seb. So I think in in uh, they do Tefal, uh, Moulinex, whatever. Like I think you have some of that in the US, and we went there. We had planned like a half a day on site. We spent two hours lunching, one hour and a half visiting the factory, and thirty minutes. And they say, oh, uh, we forgot to do the meeting because we're we're having so much fun visiting the factory. So <laughs> that was that was crazy. I, at the end, we we closed the deal, but like. And I think that also helped, you know, this kind of bond we did with the with my prospect, and just like, have, it, it, they served us food, they served us wine, it was crazy, and so, you know, it's it's it, it's very different. It's and, and if you go in different areas, different countries, you will you will meet different kind of, uh, of of way people are are doing business, and so I'd say that that's like the main differences there.
0: Fascinating. Yeah, I've uh, I've done I've done some business in in I guess I've done at least a little business in, in the, each of the major European economies, and uh, and I've I've been struck by how different things are in Britain versus France. You yeah, know, I, I, I run a I, I run a uh, I have an office for Badger in Spain, um, so I've been I've spent a lot of time over there, um, and I'm and, and, and I am always struck how different these places are. It's uh, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Um, what about? I've noticed when you're dealing with different stakeholders, it's it is different over there. Like the relationships between people and, and the people that have uh, different roles at a company. H- how do you think dealing with stakeholders varies between the U.S. compared to the United States?
1: So. Um... So, I'd say again, there it's like there's no kind of uh, one size fits all in Europe. Um, and it also, like, if, if you go in the Nordics, for example, like there's a lot more, uh, I, would, I don't know if you say that in English, like collegiality. So, people will actually make decisions as a group, you know. So, they will. They will yeah, we, we call like,
0: that consensus based yeah. decision making, and we hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely hate it too actually it's, it's a
1: nightmare because you don't have to convince one person you know and, and, and build rapport with one person you have to do it with everyone and, uh, and there's like so many different personality types you have to adapt so it's way more complicated so in the Nordics you see that very often people do not make decisions by themselves and, uh, and in France for example There's kind of this in France. We we have this culture of like uh, this monarchy culture, and the way our government is done and everything is run. There's always one boss basically, and everyone follows. So in France, it's quite easy. You go, you identify your decision maker, you work with your decision maker, and things are going are going to be fine. And um, and so that that changes sometimes in uh, Italy, for example. You would actually someone would say, oh, I'm the decision maker. And then you, you work hard, you know, you push the deal and then you realize this person is not the decision maker at all. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they, like they are totally hidden somewhere and that's, their job is actually to pretend they're decision makers. So there, there are different ways, but there's still a lot of similarities. So if you work with a big enterprise uh, companies, you will always deal with like procurement, legal, uh, and you know, you, you, you'll have the same kind of organization as you have in the U.S., um, but also, like the, it's, this will change with the size of the company too.
0: And how do you think selling changes between the different European countries? Uh, you know, a, a salesperson in Italy versus a salesperson in Britain versus a salesperson in Germany or France. How, what would you say, that, how, how, how does that change?
1: So what what do you mean what like do you have maybe an example because it's it's such a vast uh, thing that it's uh...
0: Yeah like the selling styles like it feels like if 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 the decision makers are different what what do you think about the styles of selling like do okay. you you mentioned some have you know in, in some countries you may show up and you just hang out all day in other places you know maybe Germany Germany's more efficient or quicker the nordics are consensus based yeah. like a, what what else can you tell us about the the way you have to sell differently in these different places. I think this is an important point for Americans. Mm-hmm. A funny thing about America is it's this huge place, but and we, we think we have differences in culture between like you know the East Coast and the West Coast and the South yeah. and the Midwest. But really they're they on a on a relative scale, what's amazing about the Midwest is how similar we all are. And like yeah. Canada's very similar as well. The yeah. the the uh whereas you know, Spain versus Italy, you would think they would have a lot in common. They are extremely difficult or different. Yeah. Um, You know, so the, uh, it's, it's, I think that's a really important thought for Americans is we kind of think of, we're going to sell in the, we're going to open up European sales now. Whereas actually I I think you need to think more, think about it more like we're going to open up French sales and then we're going to open up, German sales and then the nordics and so it's very like uh i i I think that's an an important concept for americans to understand is how different all these places are and how you have to sell differently to them how would you say what do you you think about all that and and how what what how do you have to sell differently in these different places
1: so so i'd say there's um Uh, Again, it's super hard to to answer without like making generalization, like uh, you know, like just like putting people in buckets. Mm -hmm. But what you will see is um, like that's that's a bit of a cliche. But in Germany, people are tend to be very efficient. Uh, And and one thing that is surprising, if you go in Bavaria, for example, uh, which is like like south of Germany, um, people like behave a lot more like Italians there. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. So you know, like they they that's the the richest area. Of, uh, of Germany and that's where most of the business is done but people are just like you know they just want like one of my customers invited me to Oktoberfest and they just like you know they, they just paid for everything and I was like okay that's surprising for a German you know and so, um, so I would say there's like uh, there's, there's two things so there's like the area but there's also the, the, the age of people you typically deal with like one thing you have to understand in, in, in Italy is for example there are not so many young people selling because when you're young in Italy you basically make 500 euro a month. There's no job there. So every Italian are actually somewhere else. They're working in France, not really, but like Germany, UK, whatever. So you're actually going to deal with a lot of people who are um, a bit older. So there, there's going to be like a style where you say, hey, I want to see every call that every dial you make in the CRM. They're like, yeah, but the CRM is actually my notebook. So there's going to be this kind of, this kind of way. Then um, in UK, it's going to look a lot like in the US. You know, like we track a lot of things. And and one thing that's why so many companies are actually expanding to Europe, starting with UK. It's the same language, and it's kind of a, you know, it's 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 the closest from what uh, they know in the US. Mm-hmm. So th- there's this kind of uh, of things there, and yeah, I think it's um, it, it it's more like. You, you also have to, to understand that you, there's a lot of differences, but there's also a lot of, of things that are similar is you have to understand like build value and do a proper discovery. That's like the thing that I think is universal in sales is if you go and try to push features, being in Italy, Spain, whatever, that's that's not going to work. There's there's actually something I got from uh, when I was working in, a, in a, before actually I started the sales labs, there was the founder of the company who I was working for that came with me in France. And uh, he said, hey, let's go and wear our you know, our company T-shirts. And I'm like, yeah, no, actually, you have to kind of wear uh, shirts when you go in France, you know, in enterprise companies, because everyone's dressed kind of like that. Mm-hmm. I said, no, no, let's do that. So we arrived there and he started pitching, 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 pitching. And, and the French really couldn't care less. They knew he was a unicorn from the Silicon Valley, a lot of money, but they were not impressed at all. So there's, you know, there's these kind of things where... Like French people, even though you have like a, a lot of funding, they won't be super impressed by that, for example, if you don't ask them the question and if you don't make them talk about themselves.
0: Interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, Europe has always been a, a, a tough nut for me to crack. Um, Badger actually does more business in Australia, which is, so Europe's economy is about the same size as America. It's <laughs> like all, all of Europe together is about the same size, about the same area. Uh, geographically, Australia is like one twentieth our, yeah. our, you know the Europe or America's economy. We we literally do more business in Australia than all of Europe, and you know we have an office in Europe. I mean, it's 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 always been very confusing to me, yeah. but it's it's uh, so Europe's always been a tricky nut for for me to crack. How do you um, explain that actually? I don't know how I explain it. I I. I it, I, I think that it's because we are—we've always been relatively reactive at Badger. Like, we don't. Uh, there's so many field salespeople in the world, and we solve yeah. like some some very straightforward problems for them that they know they have when they have them. And you know, it, and if if they're doing it by hand and they see that we exist, they're like, well, of course I'd want to use this yeah. instead. But as a result, we've never really built the infrastructure to like wine and dine people. Which I think you yeah. really kind of have to do in Europe, um, you know. Our, our, my, my attitude has always been like, oh yeah, well if you want it, it's right here and it works, and you can sign yeah. up and start using it. Um, whereas I think to get it to get the deal to get a deal over the line in Europe, I think you know it would, it's much more like we have to go hang out with them and like you know go out to dinner, and, and uh, we would need we would need more like to sell in Germany. I would need yeah. to hire a sales team in Germany and like have boots on the ground. And, uh, it, it based this selling costs so much more over there, like to acquire a customer that it's basically not profitable. So when Mm -hmm. I look, I would have to charge a lot more for the product to make it profitable for us to sell there. I think like it's like the, like it's, I I would, I I would have to pay $20,000 to acquire a customer that was worth 15. (laughs) And and so it just, it, it doesn't make it. We've never scaled over there because it's never, never worked out economically, yeah. I think I think is what's is the way I've been seeing it. But I can't I can't just, you know like I, I charge a fair price for America, but in Europe I would I would have to just charge more to make it make sense. Which which I think is why you see a lot of really expensive software come out of Europe, like SAP, right? It's like yeah. they that SAP is geared to sell to uh to Europe, whereas, you know, we're we're just not. So
1: but you so like the solution you're selling is is basically linked to having a car and doing like um uh, like roads right like um, how do you call that uh, so it's it, you like a lot of people using use that with a car basically right
0: yeah so uh, for so badgers for outside salespeople so mm-hmm. people that are ha- having their meetings face to face and we help them figure out who to talk to which customers to focus on we help them build a route we help them. Uh, find new leads on a map around them. We yeah. help them organize their day, um, and we help them gather information from the field and send it back to their CRM system. So we we do we basically do a bunch of things yeah. that are really useful if you're a field salesperson, someone who goes out in the field. Um,
1: yeah, maybe then because Europe has like a, pub, a public transport like this is way more developed in Europe. So like the, that's one thing is is. Um, there's something you see a lot in Europe is, is you have a mix of inside and outside. Mm-hmm. So you do a lot of inside. And then, you know, like uh, the typical organization you'll see is like, you'll have a hub, for example, in Berlin or London, and the European EMEA kind of office will operate from there. And then you'll fly to see customers here and there. And you're going to group your customers meetings, like you go to Paris, you know, for one to three days, and you're going to mm-hmm. see like two, I don't know, eight customers. Yeah. So yeah. there, um, I, I would I would, I would would say that people maybe uh, use that a, a, a lot less and people who actually, because there's a lot of people who are selling stuff on the road with their cars, but they are way more into the uh, localized market. So for example, there's a company, I think it's called Zumo or whatever, where they, they sell like these machines where it cuts oranges. So it, it basically creates like orange juice, uh, fresh mm-hmm. orange juice by cutting orange, like it's kind of a robot that does that. Mm-hmm. And the people there, it's kind of a company from uh, south of Spain and yeah, all their reps are kind of like, they don't speak English, but they speak Spanish, you know? And so they are, you know, they are in France, in Belgium, whatever, but then the official language of the company is Spanish. Mm-hmm. So that, that would maybe be an explanation is that the companies that use this kind of, of solution are way more, let's say, localized. And so English is maybe not something they actually use every day.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and that is another challenge for us is we obviously speak English and, uh, and I think that, I think that what you're saying has, has a lot of merit in that, uh, you know, a lot of the field sales reps in Europe speak another language other than, Euro- other than English. And so that makes it hard for them to adopt our technology because, it, you know, our, our technology is written in English. We, we want to yeah. put it in other languages. We've put some of our, we, our websites in, in, in like 12 languages, but um, the actual products only in English. So if you don't speak English, it's going to be tough. Um, but that's that's something that we 're working on doing here hopefully uh, that 'll probably happen in twenty twenty one but um but yeah it's it's interesting to use us as a case study and think about what 's been challenging for us um and and uh, and i think it's you know a lot of American companies probably have similar challenges um, with with but but it's such a big market it 's just as big as ours yeah. and so it it's always if I think figuring figuring it out is really worth our time if we if we can. Um, so, what what are your tips for a salesperson who who is experiencing miscommunication issues with a prospect from a different country? I'm sure that comes up a ton.
1: So, w- would you have an example of a miscommunication? Maybe so we can make it more. I can give you a concrete tip.
0: Um. Well, any sales miscommunication where uh where maybe let's just say an objection was was mishandled you thought something mm. was taken care of the salesperson thought something was taken care of but really there was still a concern or price would be a good one um or yep. what's going to be included and what's not uh would be a good one to talk about i mean any kind of like the classic yeah i you know Either the salesperson didn't listen well enough or, or they thought, I think cross-cultural miscommunications happen a lot because mm-hmm. you hear each other, but you don't quite know what the other one is saying yeah. from a meaning perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So so there I would use a, a very uh, classic technique, which is called labeling. Have you heard of that?
0: I have heard of that. Yeah
1: from Chris Voss. So it's the uh, never split the difference there. So, so labeling is very simple is whenever you, you, you kind of sense a tension on objection, there's something wrong, you know, you can feel it. You actually try to, to, to understand this kind of thing. I'll give you an example. I was like, um, I recorded a, a podcast where I reverse uh, engineered the sales process of a big company in the U.S. I S I won't say the name. And, uh, you know, I kind of used that to approach them and I sent them the podcast and the uh, rep who actually we, you know, we, we kind of reverse engineered was actually telling me, oh, it's a great podcast, you know, and uh, he was kind of like turning around and I, I sensed that there was something wrong. He, he was not really comfortable with us putting this podcast. And so what I did is uh, I used the label. So I, say, I said, it sounds like you don't want me to, um, to, to put like, to, that this, podcast, this episode to air. And so I just started with the, it sounds like, or it seems like, and I kind of, you know, showed. I, I showed that, okay, there's something wrong for me. I believe it's this thing. And then he kind of opened up and said, yeah, actually, uh, you know, you can still do whatever you want, but I, I think it makes us look bad. And so he kind of started to really open up in there. So um, I would use this technique. And by the way, you can use it anywhere. It works all the time with every kind of culture. But so that's, that's really what I would do in, uh, and and you know like being clear and upfront about the fact that you you there was miscommunication misunderstanding is always something valuable um and yeah that's that's a quick tip i would give
0: the the yeah i i've heard of labeling before i don't think i use it myself but it it sounds really cool so the basic concept is you you uh if you sense something is going on you you basically try to to put a sticker on it and and say i think that it, it are you doing this? I feel like it might be this. Is this going on? Are, are you feeling like this? Is this what you're thinking? And you, and you just say what you think it is. And that will either, they'll say, no, 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 it's not that. It's this. Or maybe you'll figure out what the real objection yeah. is. Or maybe it is that. And, uh, but it, it, it's a way to start the conversation and figure out what's wrong or what's right, I guess. You could probably, yeah. fig- you, you could probably label, hey, it seems like you're really happy about this aspect of our service. And that, that could start a conversation yeah. in that area.
1: Yeah, I'll give you an example. Today, um, my fiancé seemed to be very, you know, like angry or whatever. And I said, it, it seems to me like you're angry. Oh, it seems to me like you, uh, there's something I did wrong. And I said, "No, oh, but you know, there's this customer who wants to cancel the contract and they are talking to me and they want they booked like a meeting with me. And then she started talking, 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 talking. Mm-hmm. Went for a walk and then she was happy. So um, it's yeah. kind of a good way to trigger this, this thing. And I'd say try it with your quarantine partners. I'm sure you have like... A, you know, a spouse, kids, whatever. It doesn't work with kids, I guess, because kids can't be, uh, you know, they're kids. <laughs> but like, uh, you can try it, and it works really, it works really well. And it's something that is, it's not that easy to do because it, it's admitting that you've made a mistake or there's something wrong. But but it's uh, it's super powerful to open up conversations.
0: Oh, so that, that's a key part of it is that you're you're showing vulnerability and showing mm-hmm. and actually bringing it up by saying, hey, it seems like I did something wrong, or are you are you unhappy? with me, to, you, you're you actually saying, try to turn it on to yourself and try to say, try to kind of bring it up as if you've done something wrong.
1: That's even more powerful when you do that. So if if you actually didn't do anything wrong, you, you can say it seems like you're happy, unhappy or you know, it's like something like that. But if you believe it's because of you and in, in general, in negotiation, it's like there's two parts and, and you know, like, you know, being more, showing more vulnerabilities, I, I would say is much better so that's you know that's like the key thing is to say it sounds or it seems that's that's really really powerful actually
0: okay it sounds or it seems very cool um if you
1: want more you can check the book it's called never split the difference from chris voss
0: yeah and, uh, yeah we had him yeah. on the podcast a while back and and that's actually i think why i've heard of it before i think that was the first time i would heard of it yeah um yeah, there, there's so much great content and great so many amazing skills people have thought of in the last 15 years floating around out there. There's just been this explosion of content. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I guess that's one, one of the reasons I have this podcast is to try to summarize, to bring bring on an expert in something and have them summarize the things they know about or get their take on a certain on a certain thing. Because um, you know, I cause I I probably won't read read that book because I'm just busy but <laughs> I, I would love to understand it better you know so it's, it's kind of a trick you,
1: you can listen to his uh, conferences or whatever when you have time it, it's uh, yeah really like I think it's uh it's it's he's really he really put a framework like a framework on something very in general like not really like a lot of people don't really understand it. it's literally like a jedi jedi mind tricks actually you really can use that and, and it works almost all the time so it's it's really powerful
0: Awesome. Well definitely uh everyone should re- go listen to Chris Voss's podcast on uh I, I'm not sure which episode it is, but it's it's the one that says his name in the in the title. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty clear. <laughs> but uh so um tell me, how can US salespeople differentiate themselves from um, they their european competitors when they're selling the same types of products or services when they're in europe so i mean it's going to be tough to sell california cheese in france but but let's just say you were you were trying to or maybe you're selling you know whatever whatever it is so, that you're selling the american version of into europe how do you uh, how do you go about doing that so if you're
1: selling from something from California, definitely not cheese, please. Wine, maybe. Could we find the cheese? Please not. <laughs> so, yeah. So the, actually, that's one thing is uh, very simple. Do a proper discovery. You know, as important as it is, in Europe, we don't know how to do a discovery. It's something that is it's, it's insane. Every time I go to a new customer, I check how the reps are working and it's always the same. They go and they start pitching and, you know, it's like, there's the, this, this thing from the Wolf of Wall Street where they say, hey, sell me this pen, and everyone goes and believes that's, that's sales. So it's pretty sad. So if you do a proper discovery, you, know, you just try to understand what people are trying to solve, what problems they are facing, and you know, what have they tried to do about that, uh, in, and just doing that. That, that makes you different. First, because people are not used to that. They're used to everyone pitching them about their company. Say, hey, look at this slide, slide deck. There's 50 slides. The first 30 slides are about our history, our mission, our founders, where our offices are located, whatever these, these things. Just skip that. You know, Do a proper discovery. Don't use slides. That's also something really powerful. And uh, you know, th- that's, that's a good way to differentiate. And that's, I would say it's a good way to use like, what you do well in the U.S., and, and bring that in Europe. And so that's something I've done a lot. I've been kind of trained very early on in the how to sell the American way, I would say. Uh, so I did like Sandler training, then I did another training with uh, Skip Miller. So it's um, from his proactive selling. And mm-hmm. um, this for me, that's kind of the best training I've ever had. And there, you know, when you go and just like you say, okay, no more slides, I'm just going to go have a conversation and try to understand what are the problems you're trying to solve. That really helps. And so that's very refreshing for people in, in Europe to kind of be treated this way when they talk to a human and uh, not to someone who's like representing a company. So it's really this kind of thing, I would say. That would be a good,
0: uh, good way to do that. Talk to me about workplace cultures. So t- how, how is workplace culture and office culture different in Europe versus the US? So...
1: I'd say workplace culture is like currently uh, changing like super fast. So uh, you know that's maybe valid to the previous uh, thing there, but like um, I guess
0: let's talk about a pre-COVID world um, yeah. because we'll probably be back to that eventually, but um, just with more hand sanitizer in the office. But, uh, <laughs> but no, right right now, workplace culture is real similar in Europe and America. We're all sitting in our living rooms. <laughs> but but uh, it, what about before before this all happened?
1: So one thing is important in Europe is um, people don't work as much as in the US. So that's, that's one thing important to understand at all level. People like, uh, don't like being bothered after four on, the, on Fridays, for example. So that's something there. They, but like, that's also a paradox, because in the US, you will typically... You know, it's, I've actually worked in the US and people at five or six, they are out, you know, and they are very productive during the day. In Europe, it's a bit different. So we tend to take long um, lunch breaks, you know. So sometimes we do that. We tend to talk a lot more, uh, not about work, uh, while we're at work. So we tend to spend maybe longer hours, Uh, expect expect uh, sorry um uh, except on Fridays where we kind of go out of office super super early and so that's that's something there that is important to understand um there's also one thing if you have a business in the the U.S. and you you kind of uh, have like an office in Europe um really be mindful of the time when you're booking meetings with people so um, the thing is, is I think if you're the West and the West Coast is super hard because right now I think it's like you know I don't know for me it's almost nine p.m. and so so that's something that is super important and in the long run I've seen so many kind of uh, executives being super pissed with their like the the kind of founding team in the U.S. because they were booking them always super late. So that's something that is really important. Is take your meetings early in the morning when you're you're talking with Europe. So that's that's something there, and um, yeah, there's. Um, there's also like something to to see in Europe is people are a bit more. Um, so, I don't know. It's like th- that was something I experienced a lot. We had this kind of boiler room approach in Europe where my first sales job is it was just dudes, you know, and it looked like a frat house, really. And this is still very present in Europe. So in in the US and and for me I'm pretty much against that. Uh, I was really happy when I did it when I was uh, you know younger, but now I, I just realize how bad this is for. Anyone who's not like a white dude, basically, and so uh, so that was that's something where in Europe it's not so you know it's it's coming, but it's you know this can be a bit shocking to people who are from the U.S.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, we we've, we've dealt with a lot of cultural things at Badger just because we have um, you know two offices in America and then one office in the Philippines and one office in 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 uh, Spain and, and especially the the, there's a lot of interaction like people moving back and forth and visiting from Spain to here and from here to Spain and they'll come for you know sometimes three months at a time sometimes one month at a time uh and we kind of make it a make it an option for for the Americans to go work over there for for that for a short period or, or on a yearly basis if they want mm-hmm. and so we've, we've kind of had a lot of interaction between these two groups and had to learn, learn to work together on these off hours. And yeah, like the, the, the the timing is really important. So like early morning, West coast America meetings are, are uh, my early mornings are always booked up with stuff going on in Europe. Um, And that, and, uh, and then the, the the work hours is tricky because like for, and and we definitely learned that because for us, like for me to book, you know, if I've got like an executive or someone on my team over there, like it's I I, I wouldn't think twice about booking something at seven o'clock on a Tuesday, but they hate that. So <laughs> whereas yeah. whereas if you want to, you know, if they if I was working with India or so that we've got people in India as well, that if you, if I'm working with that team, like they can totally they they wouldn't they wouldn't hesitate to book a meeting at eight o'clock p.m. my time, right? And, yeah. And uh but it doesn't work both ways there. We Americans just. I think I think we view work hours, we're, we're, we work more in, in America, I suspect. So that's probably uh, definitely, that, that jumps out. And
1: the thing you do is like there's kind of office hours where maybe you, you'll come early, leave early, but then you kind of open your laptop and keep working in the evening. Actually, yeah. something I'm do actually but it's my own we' don't, business, so it's fine, we're but.
0: fine to be booked on like if yeah. if someone if, if something needs to happen at eight p m then something needs to happen at eight p m right yeah. like we we don't i think that's whereas it's 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 more uh it's it's socially taboo in Europe to do that
1: yeah exactly and uh yeah i mean it's it's that's something i think is important also to to understand because uh um people like to be to be um yeah, they like to kind of still have this difference between work and uh and and, and personal life. And uh I've definitely seen as that as uh you know, in, in many times I've worked with US companies in Europe, that has been a huge problem for a lot of people. So even for me, now actually I don't care of taking meetings at any time, but when I was, you know, on payroll for someone, that was that was really hard for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and well, I, I think it's cultural too. I mean, they they have more separation between family and work. They, yeah. you know, the, the Spanish are always telling us that you guys live to work and and uh, we work to live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what 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 other suggestions do you have for um, salespeople in the in in the United States to work better with their colleagues in Europe or customers in Europe?
1: Um. So there's something I would recommend and it's not only just like to work better with the colleagues or, or, or you know, like in Europe or, or, you know, it's every, with everyone is just like, do some research. Like, you know, whenever you are going to talk to a prospect, don't look at say, Oh, you've been to this university or just like try to understand like something I call triggers. So now LinkedIn is very easy to find triggers where you're going to be able to find like, um, you know, like people leave like a crazy digital, like of kind of a, mark. So they're on Twitter, they're on Facebook, they're on Instagram. So there's so much data you can use. It's a bit of spying, I would say, but like really do your research when you're talking with it to someone and try to, to, to be relevant around that. So that's really an advice I would give is to be super precise on that and don't be, you know, don't be lazy on that. And so, so that's, that's one advice I give to people who really like to prepare. In my case, I'm not a huge fan of preparation. I I kind of like uh, going with the flow. So whenever I meet someone or, you know, I start with a a new prospect, I go into like full curiosity mode. So I'm just going to go and I, I, you know, I start asking questions. Say, hey, like I really just like start having conversation and really make the people talk. And so, again, you can use these things, labeling. There's also mirroring from uh, Chris Voss. again, so these kind of techniques where people just talk, 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 talk. And then you create like a real connection. So that's what I would say. If you're more into the... um, Freestyle, just go and make people talk, and if you're not, just like prepare so you can have like subject of topics of conversation.
0: Uh, that, you brought up another concept there, triggering. I think that's great. Um, you know, looking that's this is this
1: one is mine. <laughs> oh, that one's yours. I, yeah. I hadn't
0: heard that before either. <laughs> that was that was really cool. So, so uh, just to bring everyone's attention to that, because I, I I haven't heard that before. Kind of looking for things that get people that will trigger them to uh, to. Talk about something, or or be engaged, or you know, finding out something about them that, like, if you were to trigger that that topic, they're gonna they're gonna engage with you. Very cool. Exactly. Yeah. And mirroring, I think we generally understand that um, doing things that uh, the saying thing using the same words back to someone when you're listening to them or mirror, mirroring your body language, that sort of thing. So, of in this case, skill.
1: it's more repeating the last one to three words of a sentence. So mm-hmm. if you talk, you know, like it depends. So for me, typically, I don't really use it because I, I kind of have experience making people talk. So I will ask questions and, you know, it's it's kind of a good way to replace the open-ended question. So. You know, because if you do a lot of open-ended questions one after the other, it looks like a, an inter- interrogatory. I think yeah, that's right. That.
0: interrogation. Yeah,
1: Yeah, interrogation. And um, and so one good way to. To, to, do, to avoid that is to use an upward or downward intonation and repeat the last one to three words of a sentence. So I won't do it now because it takes a lot of practice. I've done it twice live and twice it failed.
0: <laughs> but, but and I've twice it failed. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just did it. You know, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's exactly a perfect mirror that you did. And twice it failed. You know, and then I'm like, yeah. I, and then I, so that's a good way. That's a mirror, as we call it.
0: Um, all right. Well, next I'd like to do sales in sixty seconds. Quick questions, yeah. quick answers. Um, first question: What factors hold salespeople back from selling to different countries?
1: Um, I think they're they're just, you know, they are afraid of um, of not having the same results. So if you're selling, for example, in uh, in the US, and then you go and try to sell in Sweden. Uh, you know, you kind of super afraid because you don't know how they will react, and even if they will actually uh, answer back. So, Sweden is maybe a wrong example because they speak English. But if you go with an outreach campaign in English in France, you know that's that's kind of something that would prevent, like, where people would be okay. I'm not going to do it, and they would be right. So, yeah.
0: All right. What's your top tip for salespeople who are looking to sell abroad?
1: So. One thing that is important is uh, to have like a go-to-market strategy. So selling abroad is a totally new territory. Um, And so one thing they need to understand is they can't just go and be just a salesperson selling. They have to be a small marketing machine. So they have to have a go-to-market plan. They have to be able to uh, not localize, like in terms of language, their content, but understand, like trying to understand what are the the ICPs. The ICPs are certainly different and um, they're, the problems they also approach like the, the, the ICPs are having are also certainly different. And so talk, really talk about what's an ICP. An ideal customer profile. Mm. So it's a, uh, I love making the combination. It's The combination is kind of a matrix that makes your ideal customer company. So the type of company you work with and your ideal customer title, which is the, you know, the job title of the person. So if you have a CEO of a series, a startup that could be an ICP for example.
0: Sure. Sure. Um, how can salespeople stay up to date on trends and new developments on when they're selling to different countries?
1: So I'd say uh, they can listen to my podcast, the B2B sales podcast. <laughs> it's a good way to actually uh, understand the different styles that we have in Europe. But over that uh, um, I would, I would, you know, like uh, for the different trends, it's. You can check like um, in Germany, we have something called sales masters. It's kind of a sales network, you know, and uh, that is focused on DACH, but for English speaking, so Germany, Austria, Switzerland. So try to, to see like this kind of local industry news or industry, um, I would say like uh, groups, that would be a good way to understand what's happening there.
0: What's a trick that all salespeople should do every day to become more successful?
1: So they should just accept that their job is going to change very fast and they, they, I will, if they need a few tricks, they need to understand how to build a lead magnet, I would say. They need to understand how to use Canva and for example, they need to understand how to look good on video, for example. These are three, th- three things I, I think are super important in sales. If you can't, just in in three years, you know, if you're not able to be your mini marketing machine, you won't have a job because like so much of your job is actually automated now, and in the you know it's going to be automated. So I would say make your job uh, irreplaceable by being you know by doing something a machine can't do. I know it's not like the uh, kind of a predictable revenue uh, do- dogma where it's like SDR, Ie and CSM. It's more like something different, but that's mm-hmm. really what I believe is. If you're not investing in your skills right now and, you know, like this kind of creative skills, it's going to be tough.
0: Tell me what's the uh, the greatest sales lesson that you've learned over the years?
1: So um, one lesson I would, you know, like I really learned and I keep learning all the time is I can't, you can't afford to delegate like your kind of uh, lead generation or pipeline creation you can't really delegate 100% of it. So if you have to say something at some point, you have to be able to prospect. So one thing, you know, that are, like the biggest lesson I've, I've learned is always kind of stay up to date on outreaching because at, at at any point in your life, you're going to have to do it again. So yeah, that's the biggest lesson I had.
0: Yeah, well, I, uh, my VP of sales at Google, I remember him saying, and this is relevant from uh, from, from the European perspective, I remember him saying, uh, I've got good sales reps that uh, that golf on the weekends. The great sales reps are still prospecting, <laughs> and that's definitely a very un-European thing to say. But <laughs> you was... need to
1: prospect on the weekend. But like you know, for me, when I started in sales, I was prospecting, and then you know, like I became manager and I stopped prospecting. And I was like, finally, I will never do it again. And then I restarted a new job, and I was like, they say, yeah, you can have leads. And there was no leads, so I had to prospect again. And then in my business, I was like, yeah, it's consulting, and you get a lot of inbound leads. And there's a lot of inbound leads, but if you want to make enough money, you have to prospect. So, yeah, just just be comfortable with that. I would say that's uh, the the learning for me.
0: Absolutely. So tell me, as an actionable takeaway, what should the field salespeople listening today do as a first step to get started on selling to different countries?
1: So, again, Go-to-market strategy. So that's one thing I would do is first thing you have to do if you want to sell into another country is to understand how you're going to approach it. So understand like exactly who's your ICP, like in which territory in this specific territory. So ideal customer profile, understand what are the problems they're trying to solve. And the best way to do that actually is to, once you have understood your ICPs, is to contact them to understand what their problems are. Don't assume assume them. And yeah, that's that's really like the first thing to do is just take some time to sit down and understand, like have like a basic strategy, and then go. But just don't go and start cold calling. If first, don't expect to have like as many leads as you have in the US. Don't expect the quality of the data you're going to find to be as good as in the US. Like the database of leads do not work as much in Europe. And um, yeah, that's pretty much what I would say.
0: All right. Um- Well, uh, I'm going to try to summarize all the wisdom that you've given us today for all the people that are driving and couldn't take their own notes. Um, So in summary, in the U.S., salespeople can find more things to build rapport with because it's more of a shared culture versus Europe, which has over 27 countries, each of which have at least one culture, maybe maybe a couple. Many different European countries sell differently from one another. European countries located in the South, for example, often dislike jumping right into business talk the way Americans would. In Spain, uh, it's super important to go to lunch when you're selling, and lunch can be half the day, and then you can do a factory tour and then the meeting can be crammed down into uh, into 30 minutes where you actually have to talk about what you do so it's uh, very different from here and, and you have to be ready for that if you don't have an understanding of the European culture or speak the language it can be a lot harder to sell um, in my experience you know I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion if I want to sell in Germany I have to hire a, hire a German sales rep. Um, so it's okay to test the waters with your with your team from here. But if you actually want to expand and grow, I think that you, you need local native boots in the street. Uh, in Europe, it's harder to, to do discovery. So the sales cycle may take longer. It may take more to find the problem, quantify the problem and get to the solution. Um, in Europe, there's also... Often a lot less urgency, so it can be harder to sell or feel like a really long sales cycle to Americans um, and that 's certainly true in in my business or in software in general I mean most you know, a very high percentage of European countries companies don 't even have a CRM system so you know we'll, we run into that all the time and so that's you know kind of one of the first things that you would have bought as a as a uh, for technology, and they don't have that yet. And then they're talking, we're, we're talking to them, and we're like, Oh wow, okay, we're, we've got a few steps to go here. Um, so the area and the age of people that you're selling to will also change in Europe based on which country you're in and, and what you're selling, and, uh, and, and that you need to adjust your sales strategies and the way you sell based on that. Um if you sense something has been miscommunicated or has gone wrong, you can use, uh, this is a Chris Voss tip to label something. You can say, it sounds like you don't want or it seems like something's wrong. If you're clear and upfront and you, you can see if you can find out what's wrong and then you can overcome the, un- uncover the objection, find solutions, understand people better, communicate, uh, don't be afraid to be vulnerable on this. To sell as an American in Europe, make sure you do proper discovery. Really understand the problems that people are facing and how you help them. Do your research so you can be really relevant for the prospect and find triggers when you're doing your research to engage well with your prospects. This can be very refreshing in Europe because a lot of people, a lot of times sales reps there aren't doing it, so you can gain an advantage there. In Europe, people tend to leave the office very early on Fridays. So that's probably a bad time to uh, to schedule meetings with them, obviously. Um, and make sure that you're super conscious of the time zone people are in when you're booking meetings with them in Europe and know that they're sensitive to working early, late, or on the weekends. Um, well, this has been fantastic, Thibaut. Uh, where can listeners read more about your work? Where can they reach out to you?
1: So first, that was a great summary. Thanks a lot. Um, so they, there's a few places. So where I'm the most active is on LinkedIn. So you go Thibaut Suiris. I'm pretty sure you will put the link. There must be no other Thibaut Suiris on LinkedIn. Because it's, it's not like, uh, you know, John Doe or whatever. Uh, so that's one place. Why don't you
0: spell that for people really quick? So, so, T-H- both Thibaut and Suiris.
1: <laughs> I'm sure no one could get it uh, right. Even in France, they wouldn't, wouldn't be. So it's T-H-I-B-A-U-T. Thibaut. And Suiris is S O U Y
0: R I S. Ah, French. Such an easy language. Yeah, it's like <laughs> super
1: easy. It's crazy. So they, they can find me on LinkedIn there. And uh if they want actually to go uh, on my website, saleslabs.io so S-A-L-E-S-L-A-B-S dot Io. They can find me there. I've got videos, I don't I do everything in English and uh at the time I'll have like blog posts and whatever things. so these are the two places where they can go and they'll be able to find the podcast also on the on the website
0: fantastic well this has been a great episode of the outside sales talk Thibaut I really appreciate your time if any of our listeners can think of any sales reps that are trying to sell them to Europe who would benefit from learning the skills that Thibaut brought us today share the love and forward this on to them Um, that really helps spread the word and uh, helps people out Take care until next time, guys.